Hello. Welcome back. Episode 8 of Crimes at Cartwell. Yeah, you're listening to comedy whodunits for your ears. For your ears. If you're listening to them in any other way, you're doing it wrong. These are for your ears. <laughs> now we're up to episode eight. I know. Uh, so Penny and Perry are investigating yet another murder. What is with those two? I know. Well, Charlotte has just been found with the murder weapon. Yeah, Charlotte, Victoria's friend. Yes. Could it be her? Could it be? 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 Uh, well, we're going to find out soon enough. Uh, I do feel for Penny, though, you know, having to investigate the murder of her very close friend, Victoria. Must be hard. I think she'll be okay. Or will she? Ooh. <laughs> Unsettling. <laughs> well, let's, let's find out. Let's find out. Enjoy the episode. The discovery of the murder weapon in Charlotte's room triggered a flurry of activity around the house. Her room was cordoned off, certain items taken away, and she herself was marched into a car in the driveway. She wasn't exactly resisting arrest, but nor was she complying meekly. Get your hands off me! Off me, I say! Steady now, Miss Blakemore, steady! Terry, if you really want to be my saviour, now would be a good time. I'm here for you, Charlie! There's no good in you being here for me. They're taking me away from here to be somewhere else. Somewhere horrid, no doubt. Do something! Inspector Colgate, come on now, this is ludicrous. Is there nothing I can do to make you see that? Listen to me, son. I'm not arresting your sweetheart. I'm arresting a murder suspect. But the murder suspect is my sweetheart. We're not sweethearts, Terry. Okay, not sweethearts. That's one step down from sweetheart. Terry turned to the little watching group assembled in the doorway with his arms outstretched, appealing for answers. Perry provided one. Um, savoury hearts? Savoury hearts? Well, I suppose it's better than sour hearts. What do you think, Charlie? Savoury hearts? Terry! They're arresting me! Of course! Inspector! What can I do to get you to release my savoury heart? I'm a simple man, Mr Warner. I'll go where the evidence leads me. And right now, that evidence pretty strongly suggests that Miss Blakemore had at least some involvement of the murder of your sister. I'm no saying she acted alone, I'm not even saying she necessarily knew what she was doing. But I need to get some concrete answers. The only way she's getting into handcuffs is if the real killer comes forward. With his last sign, the inspector gave Terry a searching look. He obviously suspected him of something. And it's true. Terry seemed far more concerned of Charlotte's welfare than that of his poor sister. He stood and waved forlornly as the car drove Colgate and Charlotte away. Then he spun on his heel with a steely look in his eye. Penny, can I have a word with you and Perry? Of course. He strode off purposefully and sat on a bench in the shade of a grand old oak tree. I followed and sat next to him with Perry hovering nearby, unsure of what to do. I told him to perch on the armrest of the bench. It was a mistake. For a man who had won an international tennis tournament, albeit only playing two matches against significantly weakened opposition, he could be remarkably uncoordinated at times. He delicately backed himself down onto the bench's arm, but didn't seem to know what to do with his own arms. The obvious thing would have been to put one along the backrest, but I suppose he was concerned that would place he and I into a sort of seated hug. Whatever his thinking, he placed his hands in his lap and sat there wobbling precariously. What did you want to talk about, Terry? All this mess, obviously. You two are detectives, right? We are. And you're good? We've had some success, yes. 
We solved the murder of Lance Brown at Longmeadow Hall and were key in stopping Wendy Weaver from getting away with a series of murders at Wombledon Tennis Club. Despite the situation, I'll admit I was pleased to have an opportunity to tell Terry about the success of the PPDA. I was proud of it. I'd always wanted to be a detective, but didn't think I'd ever be allowed to investigate a case as a woman. When I took the job as Perry's assistant, I thought it would be as close as I'd get, but he has encouraged me all the way and now regularly places any praise the company receives squarely on my shoulders. I realised I'd never thanked Perry for the opportunity and turned to look at him, but as I did so, my shoulder grazed his thigh, disturbing his balance. Whoa! It's fine. It's fine. I'm fine. Carry on. Sorry. They say it's not how you fall, but how you get back up. Well, Perry fell spectacularly. A wild whirl of limbs seemed to suspend itself momentarily in the air before crashing to the floor. But he popped straight back up onto his little perch. This time, though, he did extend his arm out behind me and I enjoyed leaning back slightly against him, feeling the warmth of his body in the chilly November air. I know Charlie and Vic weren't exactly best friends, but there's no way Charlotte would have done that. I didn't know her, but she did seem to have a bit of a temper. Oh God, Charlie was a real firecracker. She'd bite your head off and spit in your face. Isn't your face part of your head? It's an expression, Pear. It is. Her ferocity is one of the things I love most about her. I'm not the sort of guy who wants some meek, pretty little thing. I want spice and adventure. But might Charlotte's temper have boiled over too far this time? Well, that's just it. It's a temper, a flare-up. She lashes out in reaction to things. She doesn't plan out attacks in advance. Besides, if she had done that to Vic, she'd have been covered head to toe in blood, wouldn't she? It was a good point. But Charlotte had been wrapped up in layers of bandages as a mummy. So it is possible she could have just removed a layer or added another one. Now I thought about it, I couldn't remember if she had been one of the people to have got changed out of their costumes immediately after the apparition. That's a good point, Terry. But isn't it true of everyone here? What about this Daniel Sessler who was hiding in the cellar? Daniel wasn't hiding, he was unconscious. Okay, but do you really think Charlie could knock a guy out? Perry jumped in to answer that one. Oh, with enough leverage and weight, you'd be surprised how much force can be generated without resorting to pure muscle. There's a fascinating article, actually. Perry? Absolutely. Well, that may be so, but I'm not buying it. There's an obvious answer here. Someone with motive, military training, and who could have slipped in and out unnoticed somehow. Cranston Cartwell. The police say he was in France giving a lecture. Oh, just look into it. Please, Penny, for Charlie. For me. Again, I was struck by how Terry was far more concerned about Charlotte than his sister. I gave him an icy look. I'm going to keep investigating, Terry, but not for you or Charlotte, for Victoria who you don't seem especially sad about. Oh, that's fair. I'm sorry. Truth is, Vic and I have had her ups and downs. She used to love humiliating me as a kid. Then we got older and I accused her of not supporting me enough. And Well, she said I was just leeching off her and the Cartwell hair care money. Well, she was probably right. But I hated hearing it. I did love her, though. I think maybe I'm throwing myself into this Charlie thing to avoid thinking about losing Vic. I'm sorry, Penny. I know she was your friend. Just like that, a switch flipped in Terry. He crumpled in on himself, all his righteous anger and American bluster fell away, and I was looking at the hurt little boy I'd known as a child. I reached out and took his hands in mine, and as I did so I felt Perry instinctively move his own hand from the back of the bench onto my shoulder. It wasn't a possessive grab, he was lending me his support and I appreciated it. We're going to solve this, Terry, for Vicky and for everyone.
Terry and I left Terry on the bench and headed inside. When he had left, Inspector Colgate had been quite clear we couldn't disturb the scenes in Charlotte's bedroom or the parlour where Victoria's body was found. But that left the rest of the house for us to comb for clues. We didn't find anything of particular interest until we came to the garden room. What are you looking for, Penny? We searched in here when the first seance was interrupted. It's where Daniel Sessler says he snuck into the house and where that bird flew in. I told Perry we were double-checking everything. This time we took great care in inspecting every detail of the room, working from the doorway in. Things were easier now that there was daylight streaming in from the windows, but nothing leapt out. A few knick-knacks had been knocked to the floor when Perry was trying to corral the crow, but other than that, nothing seemed out of place. I moved to the window and saw a sheen on one of the frames. Perry, come look at this. The window frame? What's on the frame, Perry? Um, paint? No, look, there's a sticky residue. You're right. You're incredible, Penny girl. He looked at me with his eyes full of admiration. I felt my cheeks blush a little, but I didn't have time to savour the pleasant feeling because I just had an idea. Perry, quickly draw the curtains, shut the door and turn the lights out. Oh, gosh. Right. Are we, um... Just do it. Perry practically tripped over himself in his haste to follow my instructions. And when he switched out the light, the room was plunged into an almost total darkness. Good curtains. <laughs> I'm not interested in the curtains. Perry, come here. OK, um... <laughs> OK, Penny girl. Uh, look, before we... Um, well, look, I just... Um, <laughs> there's something I really want to ask. I didn't and... know what Perry was blathering on about. I wasn't really listening. I was just so excited by what I'd discovered. Look! While Perry had been making the room dark, I had rubbed some of the sticky residue between my fingers and now, in the blackness, they were glowing the same pinky blue as the ghost. No! What's that? It's my hand, Perry. This goo, whatever it is, is how the ghost was glowing. Open the curtains again. Oh, so we're not going to... Not what? Nothing. There was a downbeat energy to Perry as he drew the curtains. I had no idea why. I'd just made a fairly momentous breakthrough and was absolutely humming with excitement. I felt like all senses were on overdrive and when the light streamed back into the room, it only took my one glance through the window to spot the next clue. What's that over there? Where? On the fence at the end of the garden, before the woods. There's something flapping in the breeze. Well, I think I can see it. I was so buoyed by my find and impatient for more information that I flung open the window and clambered out, followed by Perry. It was only as I was halfway across the lawn that I realised my mistake. Perry! Footprints! Where? Back in the flower bed outside the window. Did you see any footprints? I wasn't looking! Damn! You go back and check. I'll go and collect whatever that is on the fence. As I feared, when Perry got back to the flower bed, our, well, my excitement had trampled everything. Any evidence there may or may not have been that showed whether Daniel had been followed into the house by anyone else was gone. As for my clue flapping in the breeze, it turned out to be a scrap of material. Again, my eagerness for knowledge had made me make a simple mistake. When I fished the fluttering fragment from the fence, I wasn't wearing gloves. I had put my fingerprints all over the evidence. But worse, I hadn't even washed my hands, so I smeared the glowing goo all over it too. I now had no way of knowing whether this was part of the ghostly costume coated in the mysterious substance I found on the window, or just a random piece of cloth that could have blown into the fence on the breeze from anywhere. Inspector Colgate was right. Maybe I was too close to this case. I was certainly making mistakes I wouldn't normally. 
I gave myself a bit of a talking to as Perry and I walked around the side of the house. I chose to go via the front door rather than clambering back through the garden room window. In doing so, it meant we were in prime position to see a taxi pull up and a man in his 40s struggling to pull himself out of the back seat. Is there any chance you could help me, sir? The man plaintively asked the driver, who appeared to grunt something in reply but didn't make a move. I felt a rush of sympathy for the poor man in the back, and Perry and I both rushed over to lend a hand. Oh, mercy. Thank you, my dear. Could you reach in and grab my cane and bag, young man? Of course. Here's your cane. Uh, allow me to carry the bag. What Perry handed over was less a cane and more just a gnarled old stick. The man took it gratefully and leaned heavily onto it, breathing deeply and staring up at the house as the taxi sped away. Oh, mon dieu. There she is. I didn't think I'd ever see the old girl again. I'd made my peace with that long ago. I can't quite believe I'm back. I suddenly realised who I had helped. Are you Cranston Cartwell? I am. And who are you? Penny Pink, sir. I'm a friend of Victoria's. Was, I should say. I am sorry. A ghastly business. The police chap explained on the phone, but the line was a bit garbled. The connection to France often is, and he seemed to be saying something about the ghost of my brother. <laughs> Sounded a bit foo. What's the word? Crazy? It's a long story, Mr. Cartwell. It's Dr. Cartwell. <laughs> a silly thing, but I worked so hard for my doctorate, and without any support, of course. I'm rather protective over it. Of course. Apologies, Dr. Cartwell. Let's get you inside and settled, and I'll tell you everything I know as best I can. Dr. Cartwell looked at me with genuine kindness and gratitude. I meant what I said. The poor man looked frail and a bit overcome to see his childhood home. I'd get him a good stiff drink and tell him what I knew, whilst all the while trying to get as much information from him as possible in return. The walk to the house was only a short distance, but took a little while thanks to Dr. Cartwell's shuffling limp. His right leg seemed to have very little strength at all. I offered my arm to help, but the doctor waved me off, saying, Oh, I'll be fine under my own steam, thank you, my dear. It's an old injury. My plane came down with a bit of help from the opposition. <laughs> I survived, but I'll forever have a bit of my de Havilland with me. <laughs> Quite the mosquito bite. Perry laughed out loud at the quip. <laughs> the de Havilland DH-98 was a twin-engine, shoulder-winged wooden wonder called the Mosquito Penny. So it's quite a good joke. He explained with a gleam in his eye that you see in young boys when they talk about planes, tanks, or any other loud, destructive piece of engineering. Were you involved in lots of air battles? A few, but uh, this was my last. I've never felt the sky welcome me since. I've never flown again. I settled Dr. Cartwell into a chair in the drawing room and called for Grenville to provide refreshments. The old retainer looked like he'd seen a ghost when he walked in to find Cranston sat on a chair. Cranston, what are you doing here? At the butler's entrance, Cranston sprung to his feet. He clearly wasn't sure what sort of reception he was going to receive. When the police called and told me what happened, I got on the next ferry available. Got a taxi straight here from Dover. I understand if you'd prefer me to stay in the hotel. No, sir. It's it's good to have a Cartwell back under the roof. I'll get Minnie to make up your room, sir. Before leaving, Grenville shook Cranston's hand warmly and then quickly left the room covering his face. It was the most emotion I'd seen from him ever. Once Grenville left, Perry and I filled the doctor in on what happened. I kept back my morning's discoveries, ending with the arrest of Charlotte. He listened to the story in silence and gently shook his head when we were finished. He muttered something quietly, almost to himself. Oh, the silly girl. What good does it do now? 
What do you mean, sir? Charlotte, avenging the great wrong she must have felt. I'm sorry, I don't follow. Charlotte was besotted with my brother. Absolutely cloud cuckoo, head of heels in love with him. Jealous, too. Not that she had any right to be. Brian always played a straight bat with her. Never gave her any reason to think her feelings were reciprocated, but that didn't stop her. I remember there was one dance where Brian had been paying some girl from the village quite a bit of attention, and Charlotte slashed her dress with a pair of scissors. She said it was an accident, of course, but it was plain to see. There was another incident where she'd got it into her head Brian was favouring one of the maids. I can't remember her name. But the poor thing's cat wound up dead. Knife to the stomach, as I recall. Again, we all knew it was Charlotte, but it was brushed under the carpet. The maid was packed off to a different family somewhere with a very generous severance, and everyone moved on. Maybe if we'd... Maybe if we'd been stronger, this could have been avoided. He sighed wistfully. <sighs> so you don't have a problem believing Charlotte is capable of murder? I study marine wildlife, Miss Pink. The natural world is a more violent place than you'd like to think. Our society, our civilization, is just the thinnest layer of cover for the animals we are underneath. I can be both shocked and appalled by the reprehensible acts of violence we perpetrate on one another, and at the same time, be not the least surprised. In your studies of the natural world, have you ever come across anything like the supernatural we saw here? This apparition, the ghost of Brian? <laughs> no. But I've travelled all over the world for my work, and every culture has the same stories. I could be persuaded to believe under the right circumstances, perhaps. Uh, I certainly wish I could have the chance to speak again to Brian, to apologise. You regret your choice? I definitely regret the beating I took from Walter. <laughs> I think he would have killed me had Brian not stepped in. Is that a turn of phrase, or do you really think Walter Herbertson Jones could kill? Could and has. Even though I chose the RAF and respected Brian's orders to stay away, I had a friend in their unit who kept tabs on my brothers for me. And you must remember, Walter was like a brother to us both. Walter had quite the reputation for brutality, even in the context of war. But I don't think for a second he would hurt Brian's wife. He'd expect the same level of protection as with his own. God protect anyone who were to mistreat his property. And unless he's a very much changed man, I suspect he views his wife as such. I'd kept Saffron and Victoria's romance out of my retelling. I regretted it now, another lapse in judgement trying to spare my friend from what felt like gossip. When I told Cranston, his eyebrows flew up his forehead with such speed I thought they might continue up indefinitely, flying free from his face. Really? Well, that does change things. What kind of knife did they find in Charlotte's room? Well, he's here. What is Cranston talking about? Who is Cranston? Oh yeah, wait, he's, he's the twin brother. We just found that out. What about the knife? What about the knife? What so about the knife? So many questions so, Too many the questions. the end of this episode. My major question is just how French is Cranston? That accent is delicious, I think. <laughs> yes, I think you've nailed it. But I think what Cranston's going for is an Englishman who's been in France for a while. Ah, uh, that's the thought. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the niche he's in there. <laughs> Join us tomorrow for the ninth episode. The penultimate The penultimate. Episodes. Yeah, anyway, we'll see you then. Hope you enjoy it. And, uh, bye, bye, bye. Crimes at Cartwell is part of Comedy Who Done It's For Your Ears, a new Old Friends production. It was performed and written by Heather Westwell and Fergus Woodstunlock, with editing, sound and music by Fred Riding. New Old Friends gratefully acknowledge the support of Arts Council England in the production of Comedy Who Done It's For Your Ears. For more information, visit www.newoldfriends.co.uk. Hold up. 